today's message is gun to the dogs. <laughs> that was a banker to happen. That was definitely going to happen. Gun to the dogs. No, gun to the dogs is an English is an English is an English language is an English language idiom, and it's an idiom which refers to something that was better quality but it has become worse quality or has lost its quality completely. For instance, you might say, I used to go to that restaurant, it was great, but now it's gone to the dogs, okay? Or you might say, like you might say it of a team, you might say, Manchester United were a great team, but no, they're gone to the dogs. You might say, I liked watching Netflix, but no, it's gone to the dogs. Oh, we didn't like that one. Or you might say it of a person, Michael used to be a good speaker years ago, but now he's gone to the dogs. <laughs> we refer to something as having lost its quality or having gone beyond its original standard. And today I want to talk about how the gospel went to the dogs. And the dogs I'm talking about are the Gentile dogs. And that's us, the non-Jewish dogs. You see, I'm drawing this idiom from the uh, fact that in New Testament times, and even no, even within some closed circles, Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs, as outsiders, people who weren't part of the community. Because dogs were outside, they were dirty, they were unclean, they were mangy, and they ate things that they really shouldn't eat. And so they would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. How common the reference is, is disputed, but it was definitely known that they referred to the Gentiles as dogs, people who are non-Jews. So when I say Gentile, I'm referring to non-Jews. Anybody who's a non-Jew, so they think that's probably pretty, pretty well everyone here this morning. We're going to be looking at chapter 10, the book of Acts. I'm going to continue on. I looked at 4 and 6 and 7 and, and 9 last week. I'm looking at Acts chapter 10 this week, but I want to just take one step back to take several steps forward. Last week I was talking about the same man when we were looking at the gospel, when we said the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We were looking at the book of Acts about how these men were the same men they always were and they referred to John and Peter and Moses as he's referred to by Stephen and Stephen himself and Paul who are Saul who later became known as Paul. We looked at how even though they were physically the same man they were a very different man and people began to ask is this the same man that we saw earlier and that's what we were looking at last week and we were looking at the Acts of the Apostles but I just gave you some information outlining uh, what the Acts of the Apostles who was written by and so on and so forth and I want to add just a little layer or two more to that information today is that okay you alright with that okay so um, I find this stuff interesting maybe you find it boring if you fall asleep feel free but just don't snore and upset the people next to you okay here we go the Acts of the Apostles we were looking at it last week it was written as we know as I said last week and as you know if you're familiar with the Bible it was written by Luke the writer of the Gospel of Luke, known as Dr. Luke by some. He was known as a physician. He was a companion, a traveling companion of Paul the Apostle, as we read from Acts chapter 16. He seems to join. The language goes from they to we in Acts chapter 16. So we knew that. Let's see, what's the time span? The time span of the book of Acts dates somewhere from around 30 AD to 62 AD. 30 AD is now considered to be the most reliable date for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it dates from the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus right through to the end of where Paul is preaching the gospel in Rome. Approximately 32 years, which is a similar time span to the gospel that he wrote earlier, which probably was somewhere around 32 to 33 years as well. So that's the general timeline. Here we go. It was written in a language known as Koine Greek. 
No, why is Koine Greek important? Why do I care what language it was written on? This is why you care. Because some people will tell you that some of the New Testament was written in Hebrew or written in Aramaic. None of the New Testament was written in Hebrew or in Aramaic originally. None of it was. And part of sometimes the motivation, sometimes, not always, sometimes the motivation is not about authenticity, it's about knowledge. People say, well, uh, that means that you need to have a real understanding of Jewish culture to be able to read and understand the Bible correctly. That is just not the case. You don't need to have a deep biblical understanding, a deep understanding of Jewish law or midrashic interpretation systems to understand the Bible. It's plainly available to everyone. The language Koine Greek was the Greek of the streets. It wasn't the Homerian, the Homerian or the, it wasn't the Aristotelian kind of Greek that was classical Greek. It was the Greek of the streets. It was the language people spoke every day. It was the language of commerce and communication and transport. It was the language of common man. And it also happened to be the language of the Roman Empire and anybody who did business with the Romans also knew Koine. So by writing in this language, it was available to everyone who was alive in the then known world could hear the good news about Jesus Christ. That's why it was written in Koine Greek. The message went out. Its, pub, its usage it was written for this main purpose, to be read in public. So years ago, so back in New Testament times, very few of us had a Bible. In actual fact, none of us had a Bible. Only the Jews had some Old Testament scrolls. The New Testament wasn't even written. So when these were written, they were written for public reading. Elm and I were recently in Rome on holiday, and we went to the catacombs of St. Castellix. And when we were there, they showed us this room that had been dug out from under the ground. It's absolutely fascinating. And what would happen there is that the Christians would gather, and the leader would read the Bible out loud to all of the other Christians, many of whom, because they would have come from the non-literary classes, uh, non-literary, non-Jewish classes, they wouldn't know how to read. So the scriptures are read to them. So when you read the Bible, every time you see the word read in the New Testament, it refers to the Bible being read out loud, which by the way, for your own private devotions, is a very good practice. Your neighbor might think you're a bit mad, but it's good for your soul, okay? So read it out loud. I like this. It was written, as I said last week, it was written to a guy called Theophilus. And the beauty of Theophilus' name is this. Included in Theophilus' name is all of us. Because Theophilus' name simply means a lover of God. If you love God, this was written to you. If, you. if you love God, this is God's love letter to you. In my former book, he wrote, oh, Theophilus, I began to write. I'm going to get to that in a second. But here's something curious that you may not know. Did you know that the oldest known copies of the book of Acts, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are available to be seen in Ireland. Amen. Bet you didn't know that. Okay. Bet you more. Who, who knew that? You knew it. Okay, knew it. One, two, three, four. Six. Six people knew it. So therefore, it is good news, okay? Yeah. The Chester Beatty Library in Dublin contains the oldest known codex or copies. Codex means like a book. The oldest known copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. They're still available. You can see them today. Here's a piece of one of them. They were found. What's that happening? I have to get me a clock. Do you want to clear that for me and go back onto that slide if you would, please? Um, Keith? The Chester Beatty Library. So here it is. Here's a piece of it. And the curious thing that they discovered about it is this. This was found in 1929 in Egypt, and it dates from around the year 200 AD. 
And when they looked at what was written in it, not just this, no lads, obviously it was a whole book and full of, full, of, full of pages, pages and pages and pages, obviously there's four gospels in the book of Acts. When they read it, here's the thing that they discovered, that what it said and what was said in the translations and the transcripts that happened a thousand years later were the same thing. The copying process was faithful all the way through. There were some minor changes. Somebody missed a comma or put a full stop in the wrong place or used the wrong letter in a word or spelled the word wrong. But all of the minor, minor differences added up to absolutely no difference at all so that the Bible that you read today is as reliable as those original manuscripts. Yeah. I want you to know that. It's as reliable as those original manuscripts. Now, having put in all of that, I want to say this. The Acts. Remember I said, the first verse of, the, of Acts says this. In my, sorry, I'm going to go too far. In my first book, Theophilus, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to look at this morning is the process by which the gospel moves out beyond the Jewish community and moves into the Gentile community. And it does so by the root of a very unexpected person. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know what going to be reading in Acts Gospel chapter 10, or it's our Acts Gospel. In the book of Acts chapter 10, we're going to be reading in chapter 10, and we're going to tune in around the year AD 37. That's the year we're tuning in. So this is about seven years after the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel has been spreading in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and it's beginning to move out towards the end of the world, no ends of the world, and this is where we pick up the story. May God bless us as we, as we read his word this morning. Speak to us. Move upon us. Instruct us, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people say, Amen. He gets there finally. Here we go. This is what it says. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. The story opens up with the account of a centurion in the Italian regiment. The purpose of the Italian regiment was to keep law and order, Roman law and order, imposed in occupied territory, and it was done by the edge of the sword. This guy was a tool of the oppressor, if you will. He was part of the conquering army, part of the conquering empire. And it's to this person that something amazing happens, because he's a God-fearer. He begins to fear God. He gives to the poor, very unusual. He prays regularly to the one true God, the God that the Jews worshipped. It goes on to say this, one day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God come, who came to him and said, Cornelius! So you're in prayer and next thing you hear your voice. No, it's not your child outside the door saying, Daddy, I need to go to the toilet. It's not that. It's something much more profound than that. You hear a voice and you see an angel and it says your name. Tony! Wouldn't you, wouldn't you kind of get a bit of a fright? I get a bit of a fright, I can tell you that. An angel appears to you, but you know this, when an angel appears to you and calls your name, something's going down. It's either really good news or really bad news. You know what I'm saying? It goes on. Cornelius stared at him in fear. In fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And he goes on to say, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So he gets an instruction. He has a visitation. 
And so he decides to follow up on that instruction. But he shows real faith. And this is how he shows real faith. When the angel had spoken to him and gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants and he told them everything that had happened to them and he sent them to Joppa. He sent them to Joppa. I love who he picks. He picks two servants and a soldier. So Peter is coming back whether he likes it or not. You see, this is an act of faith. You see, God has spoken to him, and to make sure that he does what God tells him to do, he sends a soldier to enforce the edict. Are you with me? So when Simon Peter hears the soldiers coming, Simon Peter is going, whether he likes it or not, to Caesarea. He's going. And it's an act of faith. It's a demonstration of how much faith he had in this vision that he had, that God had spoken to him. And he sends a soldier and two servants. Onwards we go. Meanwhile, in Joppa. We continue the story. About noon the following day as they were on their way, on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. As the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And you see, when we see trance, we think it was like voodoo. <laughs> Peter falls into a trance. That's not what happened, okay? That's not what happened. That wasn't the trance he fell into. Even the word trance is kind of a hard word to discern, to translate, because really what it means is he kind of fell asleep and had a vision. He had a God-ordained sleepiness or a God-ordained trance put upon him and something happened. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I can tell you, I'm 54 years of age. I've never killed anything that I've eaten, unless you consider asparagus to be something that I killed and eaten, that I ate. I've never killed anything and eaten it. So here's an instruction that we kind of disconnect a little bit from. We kind of disconnect from how we get our food, because most of the meat that we eat is kind of killed. If it's live, you need to have words with your butcher or whatever. Yeah. But we, we, have, we have to kill it, and, and, and it's real, and we become disconnected from that. I remember my two sons, uh, Robin and Fiona, having a conversation one day when they were about five or six, at the table and they were eating chicken nuggets you know those delicious nutritious chicken nuggets so we're eating chicken nuggets and one of them turns to the other and says can you imagine if this was a real chicken <laughs> Elma and I said nothing we said nothing we said nothing it contained all sorts of four-footed animals and a voice said to him get up Peter kill and eat and Peter loses it surely not lord he replied i have never eaten anything impure or unclean i've never eaten anything impure or unclean and the voice called to him a second time and said do not call anything impure that god has made clean this happened three times we'll get back to that in a second and immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven so you've got to put yourself in peter's situation peter's a jew he's an observant jew he doesn't eat the things that he's not supposed to eat the lord had told moses and he written in leviticus 1500 years earlier about the big list of things that you weren't supposed to eat and next thing the sheet appears in front of in front of peter and guess what's in the sheet he looks into the sheet and he can see pigs and rabbits 
and he's looking into the sheet and he sees snakes and he sees lizards and he sees seagulls and he sees vultures and hawks and owls and he sees all of these animals that he's not supposed to he sees badgers who eats a badger come on he sees all these animals that he's not supposed to eat and he's absolutely having a meltdown because he's recalculating because the Lord says to him you must kill and eat these Peter and Peter says to himself no way 1500 years you've been telling us not to eat not to eat not to eat don't eat these things he's been told it all of his life since he was dangled on his grandmother's knee she said don't eat rabbit don't eat pig don't eat seagull don't eat badger don't eat and then we sing it all again don't eat rabbit don't eat pig and so they were told from they were knee high to a grasshopper these are the things you aren't supposed to eat and now he's having a trance-like vision of course he's hungry so he's thinking maybe it's just because I'm hungry and they think oh I'd like to eat that badger who knows what he's thinking in his head and he's looking and he goes what's going on the Lord says to him get up Peter kill these and eat them and he says never Lord I'll never do that and I've never done it before and I never intend to do it again Peter is just lost he has to recalculate and recalculate and recalculate 1,500 years of Jewish observance and 1,500 years of Jewish teaching is bouncing around in his head and he cannot make any sense of it. And he says, never. But of course, Peter was 2,000 years too early for the true prophet of never who spoke the words of truth. I present to you the prophet Justin Bieber. And everybody knows what the prophet Justin Bieber said. He said, never say never. Or, as he said himself, never say never. <laughs> never say never. Brothers and sisters, there's been things I've said in my life I don't think I'd ever, I'm never going to do that. And I ended up doing it. Yeah. I said I would never get a mortgage. I told you the story last yeah. week. And boy, did I end up doing yeah. that. The things that we say never to so often. Never say Never. And Peter has a history with never. And the reason I say never say never is because, brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning, say, Lord, the Lord is never going to answer that prayer. Never say never. Amen. God is never going to open that door. Never Amen. say never. God is never going to heal my broken heart. Never say never. never. Would anyone say amen. amen? And Peter has a history of saying never. He has a history of saying never. Let's look at some of the things that he said when he said never. He said never. When did he say never? He said, Lord, I will never fall away. Even if everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. Oh yeah, Peter? Nice yeah. one. Yeah. He said to Jesus in, in John 13, 8, he said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Yeah. And Jesus said to him, unless I wash your feet, you're out, Peter. Okay, wash my feet. Yeah. Wash all of me, <laughs> Wash all of me. Then he said to Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem yeah. and I'm going to be crucified and handed over to the authorities and be crucified by rising on the third day, Peter pulled him aside in Matthew chapter 16 and said, Lord, this will never happen to you wrong and of course the most famous of all when Peter said Lord I'm willing to go all the way with you I'm willing to go to prison with you I'm willing to die with you I will never deny you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. never say never but here's the curious thing if Peter had never done the things he said he would never do he would never have become the person he became Amen. If Peter had never done the things he said he'd never do, he would never have become the person that he became. Never say never. never. Imagine if Peter's 
wish to say, Lord, I'm willing to be arrested with you and die with you if necessary. Imagine that had been fulfilled. Imagine he just did that. What would have happened? Peter would have heroically have been crucified on a Roman cross next to Jesus. They said, that Peter, he was a great guy. But that wasn't God's plan. Because if Peter had died on a cross next to Jesus, it wouldn't have changed our lives. It would have changed his life. Because he would have missed out on the resurrection, the ascension, the falling of the power of the Holy Spirit, the miracles, the outworking, and the explosion of the kingdom of God. And he would have missed out on the situation we're looking at no never say never let God be the ruler of your life would anyone amen. say amen let God be the ruler of your life it goes on the story continue back to the story he goes while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision the men sent by Cornelius found where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate they called out asking if Simon who was known as Peter was staying there Simon look for Simon Peter there's Simon Peter here and Simon the Tanner is downstairs and he said, Oh yeah, we got a Peter upstairs. Simon Peter, Simon Peter, Simon. Oh, yeah, he's upstairs. Simon the Tanner is downstairs. Peter! What? Peter, there's three men down here to see you. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, there are three men looking for you. Three men. I want you to remember the number three for a second. Three men are looking for you. So he got up to go downstairs and did not hesitate to go with them. Do not go to head, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. The Lord had sent them to his door and he said, don't hesitate to go with them. Why would he hesitate? Because he opens the door and he sees a Roman soldier standing there. That's why he hesitates. He goes to open the door and he hears that it's actually a Roman centurion wants to see him and hear his message. That's why he would hesitate to go with these lads because it wasn't safe to do that and it was going up beyond the bones of his then known faith. Sometimes God calls us out beyond the bones of our now known faith. Would anyone say amen? Yeah. Sometimes God asks us to go beyond and that's what this whole message, if you will, is about. And this is... This this is a quote by a guy called F.B. Meyer. Here's what F.B. Meyer said. And this is true for all of our lives. He said, for all of us, as we contemplate taking a new and important step in life, there is the urging of the spirit, the impression or vision of the duty, and the knock or appeal of outward circumstances. There's a knock on our door that says we need to respond to something. But it follows from God placing the vision or putting the or or the origin of the spirit happening in our lives. And here's the curious thing, right? Here I am, I'm working on the message last Wednesday afternoon, and I'm sitting there, I've got my shorts on, I'm working at home, I've got my shorts on, I've got my army hat on me, I've got a little raggedy white t-shirt, and I'm working at home and I'm writing notes, and I write down this note, I literally wrote these words down in my notes. And as I got to the end of the notes, the knock or the appeal of upward circumstances, literally as I wrote that last sentence, there was a knock at my front door. So my doorbell doesn't work. We disconnected it years ago. So there was an actual physical knock on the front door. So I said, hmm, that's a curious thing. There's funny timing. Ha, 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 ha. And I get up and I walk out to the front door. And I, because I'm expecting a delivery for some, for some yeah. stuff for church. And I, so I open the door. And I open the door and there's a girl standing there and she's raising money for charity. And, um, and... I look at her and I say, hello, and she says, hello, and then she says, do I know you? And I said, I think you probably do. I didn't know who she was. I said, you think I probably do? She said, Grace Church. I said, yeah, that's right. Pastor Mike. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Mike from Grace Church. And she said, oh my God, I burst into tears. Just like, Right, like, do you know the way when you some turns on the tap, like, and I go, oh no, what have I said to upset her? So I'm thinking, and she said, you have no idea how hard a week I've had. And I pray today that I would meet someone who would give me some encouragement. I pray
pray today that I would meet someone and I would just be lifted up. And she said, and I can't believe it. God brought me to your front door. Amen. Amen. So, like, like the two of us then were kind of crying. Like, was, uh, no, it wasn't. I was, uh, was, uh, was kind of going, oh my goodness, I'm standing here in my shorts and my hat and my raggedy old t-shirt. You don't look like past time, Mike. And uh, so we, saw, we ended up talking at the front door. I said in the early service, about an hour, but it was actually about 40 minutes and we talked about life and love and everything and all the stuff that she'd gone through and we chatted. And, they, and of course the downside was that it was the knock of demand. She was raising money for a charity, so I had to commit to a standing order to the charity as well. So they go, there's a downside in everything, isn't there? But I knew that I knew that I knew when I opened the door, Whoever it was, I was going to have to give to that because that was the knocker, the demand of circumstance. Are you with me? Yeah. And the person who was at the door was appointed to be at my door because they had been praying to meet someone at the door. Now, I'm thinking, Lord, of all the people you could send her to, you send her to me. Anyway, moving on. But if sometimes it happens in our lives, God is speaking to us and there's a knock on the door of our hearts or on our lives. Yeah. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said in Revelation. There's a knock that happens on the door of our lives. And we know that it ties up to God's purposes for our lives. Let's make sure we listen to that knock on the door of our hearts. Would anyone say amen? amen. No, I'm conscious that I'm already after running over time. I'm really sorry. The explanation of the book of uh, the Acts of the Apostles ran over. But let me just bring attention to this one thing, right? A couple of last bits and pieces. Here we go. This is what I call the highlight of the Holy Spirit. Well, I've said it before. I'll say it again. When you read something repetitiously in the Bible, it's there for a reason. It's intended to get your attention. If you, if you will, repetition is the emboldening or the bold lettering. It is the highlighting. It is the italicizing that you see in the Bible. Repetition. Let's look what happens here in this story. We see that Peter's vision is repeated how many times? Three times. How many times did Jesus deny Peter? Three times. How many times was, G was Peter restored by Jesus? Three times. How many people came to knock on Peter's door? Three people. Are you seeing a bit of a pattern happening here, lads? There is a pattern happening here. The Peter's vision happens three times, according to Acts 10, 11 to 16. We also know that the story of Cornelius' vision is recounted three times in this chapter alone. In Acts chapter 10, 1 to 6, 22 and 30 to 32, the story of the vision that Cornelius has happens three times. So there, this is it. This is the Holy Spirit saying to us, an audience, 2,000 years later, to pay attention to what's happening in this story because God is doing something. Are you with me? God is doing something then and he's doing something now. He was doing something in the life of Peter and he's doing something in your life now. You may not see it. You may not get it. You may not understand it. You may not be 100% sure what it is, but God is doing something in your life. And then to add to that, both stories are repeated again in the following chapter. Chapter 11, both stories are repeated. Are you, are you beginning to get a picture where I'm going with that? Can you see what I'm saying? God is highlighting this. He's calling your attention to this reality. He's calling your attention to this reality when you read the scripture and when you live your daily life. As I said last week, quoting Ray Steadman, when he was talking about the power and the purpose, he said, that is God's program. The Holy Spirit doing the whole thing. Energizing, guiding, directing, programming, empowering, and communicating life. He does it all. It's not up to us to do anything. Would anyone say amen? Except... Be available and be his instruments. Are you willing to be available and to be God's instrument? Just as Peter, even though he found it really hard, he was available 
and he was God's instrument. He was the instrument through which the centurion and his household came to know Jesus. More on that the week after next. We look at that the week after next. But I want to show you this. You see, because God is at work in your life right now, whether you know it or not, and whether you believe it or not, God is at work in your life. And this is what God's work in your life looks, at right, looks like right now. Do you see this, see this bunch of gears? Do you see how they all kind of interconnect and they all turn each other? Do you see that? See, yeah. see, see, see what's going on? So, so this, this, is, this is the job. You want the job. And this is you putting in your CV over here. And CV is received by Charlie and it's given to Anne. Anne hands it up to, to HR. HR says, no, we don't like it. But then the, guy, the other guy in HR passes it back to Anne and then eventually makes his way through over here. gets to Dan and Charlie. And Charlie gives it up to, and you get an interview and suddenly all the cogs turn and then you get the job. You see that? See, see what's happening? Yeah. That's how God works. That's how God works. Or imagine you want to meet a wife or you want to meet a girl and you go online, the online dating website, and you go to this one and you meet him, but you don't like him because he's a bit of a creep. He's a real one. <laughs> but thankfully, he sends your link to this guy. And this guy says, hey, I like that girl. And then, then, he, then he says, actually, I'm going to send her an email. And then the email comes to you and you get the email, but it goes into your trash and that's a bit of a disaster. But then you actually happen to check your junk and it comes back out of your junk and you take it out of the junk mail and you put it into your mailbox and then you read it and then he asks you to marry him. You see what happens? God is in control of time and chance in your life. So that you can be the person like Peter, who can be the right man in the right place at the right time, saying the right thing to the right person. Are you with me? You want to be the right woman saying the right in the right place at the right time, saying the right thing to the right person. Yeah? Are you with me? Yes. Why could we not be those people? Let me tell you something else about this. This is your prayer over here. This is your prayer. Lord, I want to meet someone. Lord, I want my family to come to know you. Lord, I want a job. Lord, I want to get that degree. And it has to go through this and 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 this. But you think it should just go from here to here. But God works his own way through your life. Hallelujah. He's working his own way through your life. And you don't see it now, but somewhere turning in the wheels is the answer to your very prayers. Right turning in the wheels now, you're going to be one of those wheels who is the right person, the right place at the right time, saying the right thing to the right person. Are you with me? Will we pray to be that person? Would you pray to be that person? I want to pray to be that person. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. Let me show you this last verse before we go. And we sing this fabulous song. We're going to sing the song, even when I don't see it, you're working. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Here's what Paul wrote last week. I finished with the verse from Paul where it says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until its completion in the day when Jesus Christ returns. In chapter 2, verse 13, four, uh, 12 and 13, he says this. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. Will you repeat it with me? God is working in you. Will you look at the person next to you and say, God is working in you, giving you the power and the desire to do what pleases him. God is at work in you, changing your desires, empowering you to be used. I want to pray today. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. And then we're going to actually we're going to pray first. Let's sing. Is that okay? We're going to pray first. Let's pray. Do you want to be the right person, the right place, at the right time, saying the right thing to the right person? I do. I do. I want to be useful. I want to be, I want to be a person that's used. If you're here this morning and you have a prayer and you're saying, Lord, I pray, even though I don't see it, I will see evidence of you working in my life. 
If that's your prayer this morning, will you raise your hand? We're going to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, as your people this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the demonstrations in your word of how you were at work even when we didn't see it, Lord. Even when the people in the story didn't see it or couldn't calculate it or couldn't compute it. If you will, Lord, today we hand you our confusion about how you're working in our lives, Lord. And we say, Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in our lives. Would anyone say amen? amen? Lord, would you use us this coming week to be the right person in the right place at the right time, saying the right thing to the right person, Lord. We pray this week, Lord, that the cogs and the wheels of our lives would turn in the God-directed way. We pray this morning, Lord, that we don't, though we don't see the finish to the prayers that we've prayed for the salvation of loved ones, for the breakthrough in love, or in career, or in our home, or in our relationships, or in our health, Lord, even though we don't see it, Lord, may we still continue to pray, trusting that it is in your will, and in your way, and in your time, you will bring it to pass, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.